Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So reads the word of God. Well, do open your Bibles with me to uh, Romans chapter 1 this evening, and uh, keep your Bible open as we uh, look, look through the verses. Perhaps you'll have to use it at some point for a fan. Uh, we're not built for uh, this heat in Northern Ireland. I'm certainly not built for this heat to preach in, and hence why I picked a white shirt today. It was a tactical pick as we come to the preaching of, of God's Word. It's a warm activity, and uh, please do open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1 as we make our way through this second uh, part of our series. So, uh, an exam has been set, and uh, the class sit the exam, and some of the boys come out, and they think they've smashed it. Oh, we have done so well. Uh, we have absolutely nailed it. They come home to mom and dad, and they say, oh, no bother. Uh, no need to revise. We, night before, it was enough. We, we'll have aced that exam. Uh, and so, the teacher comes back a, a day or two later, and the class are all gathered in, and the results are about to be given. And so you have the students down the back, the students in the middle, and the students at the front, and the teachers are filling in who sits down the back, who sits in the middle, who sits in the front, all the different characters. And while the students down the back, the teacher announces, you all, the back third. And some of the boys are down the back, and they sort of sit up with their chest, thinking, here we go, we're going to get our results, we have smashed it. And the teacher says, woeful, 
absolutely woeful. And the people in the middle of the class, they begin to snigger. And quickly the teacher turns their attention to the middle of the class and says, you all in the middle, woeful, absolutely woeful. So the ones at the front there think, happy days, we're in the clear, it's obviously us who have done the best. And they begin to smile, and then the teacher casts their eye onto them and say, you at the front, woeful, absolutely woeful. Some of you have done really well at getting everything wrong, and some of you have done really badly at getting everything right. So everyone here is going to have to stay behind after school for an extra revision class on Friday. And so the whole class, their bubble is burst. The guys who thought they'd done so well, they're sitting with their mouths open, knowing that they're going to have to eat humble pie whenever they go home to their parents. You see, the field is level. Everyone has fallen short short of the expectations of the teacher, short of what was expected to pass the exam. And in some sense, that's what we have going on here from this section of text, chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18, all the way through to the end of chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, verse 22, it's perhaps a page over for you, chapter 3, verse 22, Paul will say, there is no distinction. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what Paul is going to do is he is going to explain to us the righteousness that we've thought about last week, and if you missed that, you can pick it up on the podcast or online. This righteousness, the righteousness that we have in verse 17, the righteousness that we need, he's going to explain why we need it. So we're going to see three things tonight, and the first is this. What is our condition. Some of us can live in a, in a false world, in a false economy, where we're a little bit like those guys in class, and we walk around and we're puffed up. We think that we have smashed it. We're doing really well. We've, we're living a, a really, really good life. But the logic of what Paul is going to do from chapter 1 and verse 18 all the way through to the end of chapter 3 is to shut proud mouths. It's to burst the bubble of pride in people's lives. You see, he has to level the playing field. He has to help us all understand that no matter our background, no matter who we are or where we're from, no matter our name or our bank balance, that we are all by nature guilty and condemned by a holy God. And so your nice personality, your kind actions, your pleasant demeanor, they're all worth nothing in God's economy of justification and right standing before the holy God. Let's illustrate it like this. It's like going to France and bringing American dollars with you to try and buy a baguette, okay? It's not going to happen. You're dealing with the the wrong currency. You're dealing with the wrong money. And so our, our good works, our good actions will never save us. It's the wrong currency. And we cannot obtain the right currency on our own. Now, for some, whenever this is explained, and as we look at this, what's Paul going to say to us? Some people are going to be extremely offended by this. They're going to be offended by the exclusivity of a holy God. And for all of us, Romans 1, 18 through to the end of chapter 3 is incredibly important for us. 
Because unless the truth of what we look at here tonight and in the subsequent nights, unless the truth of that soaks into our very hearts, and until we understand our stance before a holy God, we will never appreciate the gospel. We will not treasure our Lord Jesus Christ. The reflex of our lives will not be to worship. Instead, like those guys in class, we'll walk around puffed up with our own importance. And so, in a sense, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and the subsequent verses that we're looking at tonight come to us in a refreshing way because it levels us all. Without this understanding, the gospel will be incomprehensible. And so, Paul is trying to show us what? He's trying to show you and trying to show me, trying to show the people in this area of of Rome that their greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Their greatest need is His righteousness, to be dressed in His righteousness. And it's that word that we thought about last week, righteousness, that unlocks most of Romans. And it is the lens through which we see the gospel in vivid color. So, in chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, we're going to encounter the atheists. That's where we're going to be tonight. That's where we're going to spend our time. Those who who have no time for God, the atheists, Chapter 2, 1 through 16, we'll find the moralizer, and then we'll find the religious person in chapter 2 through to chapter 3, with the underlying motif that no one is righteous. No, not one. Eric Alexander says this, Paul goes into every nook and cranny, as it were, to show us that there is no one good. And our question then tonight is, well, what is our spiritual medical showing us? Uh, Sometimes uh, towards this time of year, you'll maybe have picked up on the news that there's a thing called transfer deadline day. That's when all of the football clubs uh, in in Europe try to uh, scramble for the best football player. And before they sign a player, he, he will have to come along and he'll have to do a medical and he'll have to be deemed fit enough for the team. Now, you can imagine if we're going through that spiritual medical tonight, what does it show up? Well, very clearly, verse 18. What does it show up? It shows that we are all under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed. So, follow the flow from verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Because, he says, it's the power of God on the salvation. Well, how is it? How is it the power of God unto salvation? Well, because in the gospel, God gives to us, He imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus. But why is that necessary, Paul? It's necessary because of verse 18, because the wrath of God is being revealed on all humans. All are unrighteous. And it's that problem of sin. Now, what is sin? Well, here's some helpful ways to think of it. We often teach it to our boys and girls, our, our children, that it's the, the good things that we don't do. It's going our way instead of God's way. But here, here's a way that John Piper, I found this week, helpfully describes it. He says, sin in our lives looks a little bit like this, the glory of God not being honored, the holiness of God not being reverenced, the greatness of God not being admired the power of God not being praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured. 
The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not praised. And the person of God not loved. That is what sin looks like. You see, it, it pops up in our lives in lots of different ways, doesn't it? Like that little game where we try to, uh, the whack a game where we're trying to suppress these things, it keeps popping up, and sin pops up in our life in lots of different ways. Now, there's, there's this uh, idea within our world right now that, that sin, it, sin is romanticized. That for each of us as Christian people who gather here in this meeting house tonight, that we are all missing out on something that, that there is to gain in life. That, that we're all kind of living a subpar life. That we're, we're not really living our life to the full. There's so much more to be experienced. That's what the world tries to tell us, isn't it? And what do we need to know? We need to know that that, that, that romanticized view of sin, that that is not accurate, that that is a, a lie of Satan because we know that sin is out to destroy us. All we have to do is look at the hurt it causes in our lives and in the people around us. And so, because of this sin, Paul says, verse 18, we are under the wrath of God. It is being revealed. God's hot and settled and just fury against sinners. That's our condition. But then Paul goes on, and from the condition, he says that there's a, a legal charge that then comes against us as people. And here's our condition as we find ourselves in the dock, and now there's a charge, and the charge is twofold, this charge that is brought against us. Now, as the charge comes, we are all like children, and we're quick to say that it's not me. I'm not guilty. It's not my fault. It's nothing to do with me. It's maybe their fault. It's maybe someone else's, but it's not mine. It's not my problem. And so Paul layers up his argument. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. You see, look what happens in verse 18. What happens? The truth of a, the triune God comes, the, the one who comes to save us, and what do we try to do as humans? We try to push it under the surface, the illustration of, of taking the beach ball in the pool and pushing it down under the water. And that's what we try to do. We try to reject God. We, we suppress the truth. The, we suppress the truth of who He is. That is what our society does. That's what each of us tries to do. But like the beach ball, it, it pops back up, doesn't it? It comes back to the surface. We cannot hold it down. And we are guilty in two ways. First of all, this charge, what God has shown us, what God has shown to us that we are without excuse, verses 19 through 20. This is what we call a general or natural revelation. What do we mean by that? 
We mean that as we look across this world, as we go out tonight and as we look at the stars and as we see the sunset, and as perhaps tomorrow morning you walk around Lurgan Park and you see the beauty of creation, that is God revealing Himself to us. Verse 19, everyone knows. Everyone knows that there is a Creator. Romans tells us that God has made it plain to them. Nature speaks to every human being that there is a creator God. From Lurgan all the way to Laos, from New York all the way across to New Jersey, to to wherever you may be, from Cork to California, every, every person, every human knows that there is a creator God, and therefore the creator God should be worshipped. And by charting the wonder and the glory of God in creation alone, we must note, will not save us. So there's this general revelation that every human being that has ever lived knows that there is a creator God, but that knowledge is not enough to save. They need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. And so that's a great motivating factor for mission, isn't it? The people, the tribes, the the folks that have not yet heard the gospel, the Bible has yet to be translated into their language, they need to know. But nevertheless, God's creation is a witness to who He is. The divine architect, the master craftsman, the chief scientist, our creator God. And it displays, look what Paul says, it displays two of His attributes. Look at verse 20. It shows us His eternal power. He is the one who's brought the world into existence. And then verse 20 as well, it shows us His divine nature, that this world could only come from a divine origin. Only God could sculpt this world and universe. And the conclusion of this, so they are without excuse. Verse 20. But then he goes on, and he shows us that there's a second element to this charge, and it's what we have done, and it's verses 21 through 23. We all know this experience, don't we? Uh, uh, We're coming along the road. Well, perhaps you don't because you're a good law-abiding citizen, but you're coming along the road, and you find a, a police officer who uh, is doing their duty with the, what we call the hairdryer in the countryside. They're standing with the speed gun, uh, and you know fine rightly that you're in a 30, but you're a little bit late or you're hoping to grab a coffee somewhere and so you're pushing it and you're doing 41. And so the police officer pulls you in, open up the window and he walks over and he says, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, do, do you know what speed you're doing? Yes, I know what speed I was doing. Well, what speed were you doing? I was doing 41. And what's the speed limit here, sir? That would be 30. And you know. And he says, yes, it is 30. You knew the speed limit, and yet you decided to exceed it. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. This is the essence of what? Of godlessness. And godlessness is determined by this, an attempt to get rid of God from His proper place in our life. Godlessness. We sin 
when we refuse to give God the honor and glory that is due to Him, that is appropriate and fitting to our Creator. And once we forget, once we willingly refuse to acknowledge our God, what will we see here in the remaining verses? It's a downward spiral in society. It's a downward spiral for each and every human being. Look what it says, they became futile in their thinking. Their minds go to waste. Their minds are empty and ineffective. Their hearts were darkened. There is no more wisdom to be found because when the glory goes, chaos descends. When the glory of our God from society goes, from the the fear and reverence of our God goes, then we fall into chaos. And what happens? Paul says they claim to be wise. And what do they do? They, They worship. What do they worship? Well, instead of worshiping the immortal, verse 23, they worship the mortal. How ridiculous to give up the immortal for the mortal. And what do they do? They, they make images for themselves resembling mortal man, people who are made of dust and of birds and animals and, and creeping things. They take a wooden statue, they go out, they, or they take a piece of wood, they carve it into a statue, they bring it into their home, and they bow down before it, as if it could answer their problems, as if it could resolve their, their, their difficulties. They take a, a lucky stone, as it were, and they give that control over all of their lives. And it sounds stupid, and it sounds, sounds foolish, because that's exactly what it is. We worship, don't we? We worship things instead of the immortal God. We worship people and places and man-made religion and intellect and looks, and you name it, and we'll try to worship it because we've been made to worship, but we refuse to worship the immortal God. And verse 23, what happens? They exchanged the glory, exchanged the glory of the one true and living God. It's the worst exchange ever known, isn't it? The worst trade deal that has ever happened to take the glory of the immortal God that we have in our hands, given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, His gospel, the covenant-keeping and the the covenant-making God. And what do we do? We say, do you know what? I would rather have a piece of wood. I'd rather worship myself. I'd rather look at myself and get more glory in myself than I would in the immortal God, even though we know we're going to dust. So we exchange the glory, verse 23. And it's nothing less than a total insult and assault upon our Creator. It's us turning to the Creator and saying to Him, you shouldn't have made me this way. You should have made me a different way. And what we do is we trade our very design purpose, and we say, no, no thank you. And then what happens? We malfunction and society breaks down. And so, let's spend the remainder of our time then thinking about the consequence. We've had the condition, the twofold charge, and then we have the consequence. This is from verses 24 through to 32. You see, what does it mean in verse 18? Whenever Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, well, now as we come to this in verse 24, he's going to show us what it looks like. He's going to illustrate what the wrath of God looks like right now. 
The wrath of God is twofold. There will be the final day, the wrath that will come whenever our Lord will return to judge the living and the dead. But there is a wrath to be experienced right now. So here's the question. What's wrong with our world? What, what is wrong with our world? What's going on tonight in Northern Ireland? What's going on within the United Kingdom? What's going on within the Republic of Ireland? We, we wrestle with this, haven't we? we? We've wrestled with it over the last number of years. People saying things like, help me to understand this. Why are things falling apart? Why is it that society seems to be, to be tearing apart at the seams, coming apart? The world that we, we once knew 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it, it, is, it is gone from us, and we are living in a different world, and we're, we're trying to get up to speed, and we can't understand what's going on. Things seem to be getting worse. What's happening in our world? What's wrong? This is the wrath of God being revealed upon our society. Make no mistake about it, because the wrath of God is God giving to us what we want. So whenever I was at school, I put it on college, first year I put it on college, there was a, there was a trend, a phase that swept across all of the, the cool lads in the year where they would all go and get diamond earrings, right? Little stud diamond earrings. And all the boys came into class with their hair dyed. They'd all bought straighteners at that stage as well, and it was all straightened down. And they all came in with their little stud diamond earrings. So I came home from college one day, and I said to mum, Mum, I'm going to get a diamond stud earring. And mum <laughs> looked at me, and she said, Are you? She said, Go and get me the needle right now. Go and, get, go, and get, go and get it out of the cupboard in the kitchen where the needles sit, and I'll do it for you right now. If you want it, I'll do it. Never was brought up again, all right? <laughs> and she would have. And she would have. <laughs> now, that's a funny illustration, but it illustrates for us what? That if you want something, all right, I will give it to you. If you want it so badly right now, I'm going to give it to you. If you want it, if you want your sin, then go right ahead. Because look at verse 24. What does God do? Verse 24, He gave them over. He gave them up. He hands them over to their lusts. And what is that word lusts? In the Greek, it literally just means over-desire, the things that they want above all else. It's like the child who wants the chocolate cake and wants more and more until they make themselves sick, and so it is with sin. A society that tastes sin, it wants it more and more. And what God does is He has the authority to sit back and to watch, and He gives them more. And in that moment, the Lord withholds His hand of restraint. He takes the brakes off the society. And see the, the haunting beat of the drum that comes through this passage, verse 23, verse 25, verse 26. Three times we see it. They exchanged, verse 23, the glory of the Creator for the created. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26, they even exchanged the natural relationships that God had given to them. And with that threefold exchange comes the threefold words, God gave them up, verse 24. Verse 26, 
God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. God gave them up to their sin. And this is how He expresses His wrath towards us. You see, whenever we do not love God, all of our loves become disordered. Everything falls out of sync. And so, it's, it's like in Shakespeare's Hamlet, when in a dream, Hamlet learns that his uncle murdered his father. What does he say? He says that the time is out of joint. Everything has started to descend. And so, we see it in our society. We see what's happening on our streets, on the streets of this nation, in the name of love. The agenda that's being pushed upon our schools, the woke agenda, self-expressionism, the therapeutic self. What do we start to see with these ideas and movements? It's like the, the misfiring engine or the clock with all of the components hanging out of it. The times are a joint. There's, there's something not wrong. We have exchanged God's glory, and He is handing us over to our desires. And so, when you take God off the throne of a society, it's a downward spiral. The more you want, the more you will get, and you will eat in the pigsty, and you will have your fill. Now, verse 25. Some might say, why does God bring up homosexuality? It seems to be a… what's going on here? It seems to be a, a graphic illustration of how there has been a fracturing of the natural order given in Genesis. And so, to have same-sex erotic desires is one of the clearest expressions that we have of disordered affection, those God-given relationships from Genesis hit out of joint. Another reason why he, he goes for this uh, illustration in verse 25 is because this was a, in this culture in Romans, it was a distinctly Gentile sin. And for those who are, who are Jewish, who are listening to this a little bit like those in the class that we started with in that illustration, as they hear this sin, the, the sin of homosexuality, then, then the, the Jewish people will, will be shaking their head and tutting, thinking, oh, look at them. But Paul's going to deal with them in a few weeks' time, as we will see. So, a society that is unraveling, that is getting further and further away from glorifying God, looks like this. And the point being that Christopher Ash says that the moral chaos of this world is a visible evidence of the wrath of God here and now. Now, this is an aside, but I want to deal with this on the way through. Whenever we talk about the practice of homosexuality, we are doing exactly that. We're talking about the practice of homosexuality and not the desire in and of itself. There are many faithful Christians who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and live for God's glory who have that desire but do not practice, just as with other sins, as we are tempted to steal and to gossip. So, that's a and a side that I think we, we, uh, is important for us uh, to cover. So, as a society, we're under God's wrath, 
a society full of sins, and, and how can we identify what, what that society will look like? Well, look at the list of sins that Paul then gives to us. In verse 26, again, he says, their women exchanged their natural relationships contrary to their nature, given to them by God. And so, likewise, their men do this. And then he goes on, that God gives them over to a debased mind. They are filled, verse 29, with all manner of unrighteousness. And you go down, you scan down the list of the sins that are included, and you think, yes, 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 that is reflective of our society. That's exactly where we are. God, friends, is handing us over. God is giving us over. And the ultimate fruit of a godless society is that you will create a society in which, look at the final verse, in which everyone within that society will start to cheer each other on down this road of sin. Verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They change the laws. They wave their flags and banners. They celebrate and promote and get others on board. Well, sure, if everybody thinks it's okay, then surely it must be right. If, if such and such is okay with it, then we'll be okay with it. If they can do it, then so can we. And again, Christopher Ash helpfully says that no longer a guilty secret sin of which I am ashamed, now it is a brazen rebellion against God. See the shift? No longer a secret sin, now it's a, a brazen rebellion. Let's all do this. If, if all my pals are doing it, then it'll be okay. We're all in this together. And so again, make no mistake, God's wrath in the present time is that He is not intervening with our society. That the evilness of this age is a sign of God handing us over. And there's no sign of it stopping. We will continue to decline. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. See what Lewis says? We either worship the Lord as Savior and God, or God will say to us, okay, thy will be done. And He will give us over. And what's our prayer? Our prayer tonight, brothers and sisters, is God, please don't let us go. Please don't give us over. Lord, intervene again in this land. Bring us back. Hold us again. Hold back your wrath. Don't give us over. And if we're honest, as we do scan our way through this passage, I think if we're really honest, instead of sitting like the religious people that we'll see further on in chapter 2 and chapter 3, I think we should see ourselves in this. That we should see ourselves as part of this, that, that at different times and in different ways, we too have, have done the exact thing that Paul's trying to, to show us. 
He's, he's trying to bring us down so we see that we need the righteousness of God. And here's the question then, is the kingdom of God for such an unrighteous person? Can, can the person described here in verses 18 through to 32, can they inherit the kingdom of God? Well, in one sense, no, they can't. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Done. Sentenced. But then Paul says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't this good news? You see, He has brought us right down here in, in Romans, and further on He will bring us back up again. But for such will the kingdom of God be. No, it will absolutely not be. But then, as such were some of you, but the Lord calls, and the Lord redeems, and the Lord is able to save, and He is able to rescue, and He is able to forgive. There is grace to be found. There's grace to be found for our society. Repent now, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Is not our voice to the world around us. Do not suppress this truth. Do not exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols. Don't, don't give over the glory. Don't commit this, this worst transaction. But instead, seek the Savior. And so we close with verse 16. This is why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of it. For what it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to everyone, everyone that has been listed, all of the sins, to those who are sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, great, to all of us by nature, The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Close with this wonderful quote from John Bunyan as we think then about the righteousness that has been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bunyan says this, he was a, a man who struggled to think of his place before a holy God, and he said this, Thy righteousness, talking about the Lord, thy righteousness is in heaven. And I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was in Jesus Christ Himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
there's grace to be found and forgiveness tonight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.